Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what is your relationship with ventriloquism? How do you how do you view ventriloquists and their dummies, their act, the, the art form of ventriloquism as kind of a subset of the puppetry storytelling medium? Well, I love puppetry, as you know. Mm-hmm. So I have a soft spot in my heart for ventriloquists and, and the dummies and the puppets. Um, I think it is a wonderful art form. However, I do recognize that a lot of people think it's creepy. Uh, for good reason, because you have this inanimate object that you are bringing to life. Yeah, but then of course that's that's kind of all of puppetry. And granted, you have individuals who claim to be creeped out by all puppets, which I I find tends to be more of a like a frailty of the imagination because you're you're cutting out an entire storytelling medium that is that is you know almost as old as humanity. I, we've we've been telling stories uh, for so long, and a, a lot of the time we've been using inanimate objects to tell them. It's true. Um, and actually, this is really interesting. In ancient times, ventriloquists were actually thought to be able to speak to the dead and predict the future. And then the voices seemed to come from their stomachs. And that was the, thought to be the voice of the dead. Oh, and this continues today with the work of Jeff Dunham. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, by the 19th century, ventriloquism became a form of entertainment, and then people started to use dummies. But before that, they were just throwing their voices. And in fact, uh, in some parts of the world, uh, such among the tribes of the Zulu, Inuit, and Maori, ventriloquism is still used for religious and ritual purposes. Very so cool. there you go. Just in case you thought that ventriloquism was just a throwback to, you know, this early 20th century art form, yeah. the creepy wooden doll head. No, it's been around for a long time. Now, the, the creepy wooden doll head and then the uh, the vaudevillian act of ventriloquism is, is probably what still resonates with most people. If, and probably not so much the actual acts. I think most people, when, you, when people think of ventriloquism, they're not even necessarily remembering any kind of actual ventriloquist act that they've seen. Mm-hmm. And I've seen some, some good ones. Uh, here and there, I don't act- actively seek it out, but occasionally, in not the course, many do. Yeah, in the, but occasionally, in the course of of just going about your daily life, you're going to run into a ventriloquist act, and and some artists make a go at being lively with it and, and creative and doing something interesting. But over the years, of course, they, they've also factored into a number of horror films and uh, and, and creepy interpretations. Uh, a few that come to mind: there was a 1964 film called Devil Doll, which is probably most known today. As, as having been uh, used in an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000. But it is, even even with the silhouetted um, figures at the bottom, with uh, with uh, Mike and the bots riffing on it and making fun of it, it's like a legitimately creepy film. It's one of these where it's like, where there's magic and there's a there's this tug of war between uh, ventriloquist dummy and, uh, and, and puppet master about who's in charge of who. And it's one of those films where the, the, the film quality is so poor, the acting is so weird... That it it almost feels like some sort of a documentary. You almost get this this feel feeling like you're peeking through a keyhole at, at something that's actually happened. And I and I find it to be a really unsettling film, despite it being kind of boring and 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 despite always having seen it with people making fun of it. You know why I think that is? Why is that? Because I think that even though um, there's all sorts of misdirection and illusion used in ventriloquism. 
there is a truth to it, meaning that there's a relationship between yeah. this puppet and, and the master, which means to say that that is a splintering of the ventriloquist personality. Yes. It's just another version of them. Yeah, so a lot of these these horror tales basically come down to this idea that there is some deeper connection between between uh, puppet and puppet master. Uh you see that in the dummy episode from um The Twilight Zone, you see it in Magic 1978 which starred Anthony Hopkins as the ventriloquist. Uh you see it in the Batman villain the ventriloquist where it's the a ventriloquist dummy that's like a little mobster kind of character. Um then there was an episode of Tales from the Crypt that I I'd strongly remember as well called The Ventriloquist's Dummy in which uh, this character uh, is played by Bobcat Goldwaith, who is this <laughs> up-and-coming ventriloquist who wants to get some tips from this older master played by Don Rickles. And the big reveal here is that uh, Don Rickles' character, it's not really a ventriloquist dummy. It's like a, uh, a parasitic twin mm-hmm. uh, that's... Monstrous little creature on the end of his uh, his hand. What which what, that just wears a mask. What is the name of this film? This is the ventriloquist dummy, and it was an episode of Tales from the Crypt. That has everything <laughs> I love in it, and I think I, I have mentioned before, shamefully, that I really, really do like Don Rickles. His his humor. Oh well, he's he's an insult comic, really. Yeah, yeah, and he he's acting in this. He's he's actually really good in this, and and Bobcat's fun as well. It's it's one of those uh, those episodes of Tales from the Crypt that is at at once like Tales from the Crypt at its best and worst, depending on exactly what you're expecting. Yeah. from that show. So anyway, uh, and then of course today we have Jeff Dunham, which which I find kind of frightening and horrifying as well. Uh, yeah, I mean he's incredibly popular, and the thing is, is that he's not incredibly popular because ventriloquism is incredibly popular. He just uses right. it as a medium and, and has been successful at it. But I really wanted to bring up Nina Conti. Yes. Uh, she is a ventriloquist. She has a documentary called Her Master's Voice. It is wonderful. We'll talk a little bit more about that as we sort of unroll this podcast and the science behind ventriloquism. But um, what I like about her act is that she she can do the sort of straight up um, insult comic jokes vis-a-vis her her puppet mm-hmm. uh, monk the monkey. Yeah, because that's the that's the, like low level ventriloquism humor. The idea it's not me that's awful. It's this little guy. It's, oh, I can't believe what he just yeah. said. Oh, and that's the other thing they can really get away with saying mm-hmm. a lot of things that they normally wouldn't be able to. And there's a sort of power in that, right? Um, but she also has a, a very cerebral part of her act in which she's sort of making a comment on the human condition. And and in one of her um, bits, she pretends as though Monk has taken over her body mm-hmm. and has possessed her. And Monk is very cute, just to see a, a just, you're just looking at a still image of him. But menacing. Yes. And see, that's the interesting thing. And she really does struggle with her relationship with this puppet mm-hmm. and whether or not she should continue with it. So it's, it's interesting. It's like something that she ha- gets a lot of pleasure out of, but also at the same time doesn't, she feels completely manacled to this as a profession. So in that context, you see her being possessed by Monk and there's some very dark undertones there Mm -hmm. that are expressed and that we all sort of feel, you know, we're tethered to something in our lives that we feel like, oh, I can't escape it. Well, you know, and it also brings to mind some of the issues we talked about in uh, the, the episode we did about the shadow self and about, uh, and we, we did the episode two about pro wrestling where we talked, uh, talked in both of them about what happens when we, take on other personas in one way or another, be it as part of an act, uh, if you're an actor, you know, a, a wrestling persona, or you're going undercover as a, as a, as a vice agent, uh, all these, these different roles we take on, what does that do to us? What does, what does, what happens to us when we, 
sort of uh, pour a portion of our soul or our mind into this um, artificial creation. And uh, and it sounds like this uh, this this uh, this film explores some of that territory as well. Yeah, it absolutely does. And I, it's funny that you brought that up because I thought the same thing when I was watching it. I thought this is a lot about, um, you know, what sort of personality you put out there. Mm-hmm. And then this monk character is really fulfilling an aspect of her personality because she says in the film, "I feel kind of bland as a person, but monk feels makes me feel as though I can express things that are hidden within me." It falls in nicely with the. Uh, because on one hand, we have the, the more or less perceived reality of ventriloquism, where it's that ah, it's somebody in a puppet saying a bunch of awful stuff through it. And then we have this fictional um, interpretation of it, where it's like, oh, what if there's something more significant that's taking place between puppet and puppet master? And then the closer you look, you realize that, yes, there is something more significant taking place in, in many cases. Yeah, uh, another aspect of this film that gives it another level of oddness is that um, and I won't give it all away, but basically she has been bequeathed six puppets from her ex-lover. Mm-hmm. And these are bereaved puppets, and she has to do something with them. And uh, one of them is based on her ex-lover. It's, his, it's the face, and um, and she can't quite make his voice work. And so it's weird because she's trying mm. – sort of like resurrecting him and her relationship with him through this puppet. Because in a way, these puppets were him. They were all – yeah. pieces of him that uh, that he brought to life with his own energy. And now he's gone, but these puppets remain. And yeah. to a certain extent, yeah. she can reanimate them and make them live again. But she also sort of is burdened by these puppets. Mm-hmm. And one of them is a grandmother puppet. And I won't go into it, but there's a very creepy pool scene. She takes the grandmother swimming. It's very nice, right? You think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it does sort of uncover these, these weird feelings that she has about maybe that she's been burdened with this. Um, but anyway, very interesting film. Uh, let's get into the technical aspects here of how ventriloquists fool our brains. Okay. Well, this this is really interesting because it, it really comes into the way that we interpret uh, what we're seeing, the way the way we the sense data enters our brain and is turned into conscious thought. Um and this applies when you're when you're thinking this. Think of the ventriloquist and the dummy, but also think of your television set, yes, and its speaker system. Think of any kind of puppetry, uh, or just the ability. Like I have a dinosaur, the stuffed dinosaur on my desk. I can pick it up and I can kind of talk and go like, oh, "Get on with this podcast. It's going kind of long." And you kind of <laughs> buy into. I buy into the fact that he's talking, even though I'm the one talking. See, it. no, you know, just stop real quick. You just said something that maybe you wouldn't normally say, right? Right. This is going a little. We're kind of going off the, the tracks here. <laughs> Uh, again, the power of the puppet. Yeah, maybe that's why he's here. He's here to keep me on track. Uh, the uh, triceratops. I think so. It's, yeah. He's looking at you meaningfully. But, um, but the older idea was that we have the five senses, and of course, in actuality, there are more than five senses. But but the five primary senses are entering our brain, and a separate part of the brain is dealing with each. So mm-hmm. sight, hearing, smell, touch, taste. Uh, the idea is the old idea was that each part is governed by uh, its own corresponding region of the brain, but. Not so, according to a 2007 Duke University Medical Center study. Uh, so they were studying monkeys, and they found that auditory and visual information is processed together before the combined signals make it into the brain's cortex, where all the analytical stuff is going on. So in other words, the sound, the ventriloquist voice, mm-hmm. and the image, the ventriloquist with the moving mouth and the, and the, the mum-mouthed uh, puppeteer, 
the audio and the visual combine before it uh, it reaches the part of the mental factory where we have to make conscious uh, reason reason and thought out of it. Yeah, certainly in instances where your brain sort of makes an assumption, right? Because you have the um, the inferior colliculus, the tiny round structure in the brain, which is carrying visual and auditory signals, bungling mm-hmm. them all together. So if you're watching TV, as you say, you're, you're looking at the mouth and thinking that the voice is emanating from the mouth, not the speakers. Yeah, and it's it's kind of it's handled in another department before it reaches the uh, mm-hmm. the, the the really analytical portion. In fact, according to the study, uh, they found that about 64 percent of the neurons in the inferior colliculus can carry visual as well as auditory sin- signals. So again, visual and auditory information gets combined early before the brain can process it into thought. Um, you know, it's like the, the the brain is where the, the smart guy's hanging out, but he has all these underlings that are dealing with the actual sense data. And so the sense data guy's out there, and he's like, yeah, I saw this, uh, this little dummy made out of wood, and he was totally talking. What do you make of that? And you're like, oh, okay, well, what was he saying? Uh, that's what I'm going to focus on, because I trust you to tell me uh, when there's a piece of wood talking to me. You know, I was thinking about how ventriloquists and um, magicians are so similar because mm-hmm. they're both relying on these little quick tricks to try to trick your brain, right? And I was thinking about the vanishing coin trick where, you know, you see the coin in one hand, you see it disappear. But really what's happening is is this thing called persistence of vision. The audience will actually see the coin in the left palm for a split second after the hands separate, for instance. Mm-hmm. And visual neurons don't stop firing once you have a, a, a stimuli like that um, and it's no longer present. So our perception of reality lags behind reality about one one, hen- one, one hundredth of a second, which is just enough for a magician to exploit. Yeah. So again, to s- same idea that the way that you're processing, you know, auditory and visual signals could be bungled up, and and you know, a puppeteer could take advantage of that. Same idea, magician and a coin trick. Yeah. I mean, I hate to uh, to uh, in any way support the uh, the idea, the mind body connection idea of the um, of of our brain as the is the rider on a horse, but it's kind of like the brain is in this dark box, and uh, and then there's reality on the outside, and we are given a, as you say, a perception of the reality, and it, and it is the the fact that we are dealing with the perception of the reality rather than the reality that allows for a lot of these tricks to take place. Oh, don't even get me started about how reality is just a 3D computational model. Yeah, that we've constructed these blueprints in our brain. We're not even really paying attention, so mm-hmm. much of what we're perceiving is an illusion anyway. Um, but and, it, and our ability to <clears throat> to look at a puppet and listen to a puppet and then really feel like that that creature is alive, like in a way that's kind of a glitch in the system that could not have possibly. I mean, it's just it, it ends up becoming a an artifact of our development. Well, and then of course uh, the ventriloquist also directs your attention to the dummy, so right. that takes the attention away from their mouth or from seeing their vocal cords moving. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and they are not, as we have learned, throwing their voice at all. They're mm-hmm. adjusting the volume, uh, but they are, they are again, just sort of adding to this idea that it's actually the puppet talking. Your brain knows the puppet's not talking, and yet it sort of accepts that. Yeah, and plus we're going to buy into it because we want to. I mean, if you're going to a ventriloquist or a puppet show because you don't want to believe, then you're in, in the wrong, uh, <laughs> you're, you're in the wrong place for your entertainment. It's true, and... But even if you don't want to believe it, you end up yeah, you end up buying into it anyway yeah. to, to at least the subject matter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that ventriloquists do to sort of perfect the art form is to make substitutions with certain letters 
because certain letters like B, F, M, P, the plosive P, V, and W all rely on moving your lips. They're called labial sounds. So what you have to do as a ventriloquist is to then substitute other letters or sounds that don't rely on you moving your lips around. Mm-hmm. So something like an M, you can substitute with an N, which is more like a na. Uh-huh. Makes more sense when you're the ventriloquist doing it. Um, so if I say, Hi, Colin, die, die. I'm really using an N in there. Right, yeah. If I really listen closely to it, you're saying Dunny. Mm-hmm. Instead of Dunny. Dunny. Right. Um, so much creepier in person, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, look uh, for the video because you yeah. do, uh, we have a, a, a video on the web, uh, Science on the Web episode coming up that explores uh, some of this ventriloquism stuff. And you'll get to actually see clips of examples of it and you'll get to see Julie's fabulous, um, parlor trick that she does oh you've got a nice one too though i did oh yeah yeah, yeah. Well, well that one involved a little bit of um, additional uh, cinematic magic but still yeah it's a wonderful ventriloquist voice kids love it though like they're at a certain age i enjoy um putting the two dots on my uh, my hand and doing the hand puppet the, the senior winces type guy yeah i tend to not have him talk though i just have him chew and kind of like look at the kid and then eat things like you know whatever's around actual food if possible uh uh, and then also I have him turn into a crab and crawl around on the table. That's always fun. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever have him dipping tobacco? No, he can't really dip tobacco. He's he's kind yeah. of just ridiculous. All, all he can do is crawl around on, on the table like a crab and then ball back up into a talking fist. But kids of a certain age love it. So. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. And we are going to talk about an extreme example of this technique of letter substitution and muscle control. Uh, of a mismatch between your face and your lips. It's really amazing stuff. Uh, But let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, we're back. Uh, We're talking about ventriloquism. Uh, We've spoken about the creepy side of ventriloquist dummies. Mm -hmm. Well, the fictional creepy side and then the arguably creepy real-life complications that occur when we breathe life into... uh, uh, an, an unmoving object. It's true, and um, you know we didn't really mention the etymology of the word ventriloquist, but it comes from the Latin words ventir, stomach, belly, or womb. That's mm-hmm. what that means, and loci, to speak. So it means to speak from the stomach. Mm. But it's not necessarily the stomach here that that is the key. It is really the ventriloquist brain, and specifically this act of bifurcation. Uh, of course, bifurcation meaning to split. Uh, in the documentary, uh, Kevin Johnson, a wonderful, wonderful ventriloquist, explains how uh, you have to take command of your facial muscles. And he says that the ability to form words with your tongue and then restrain the muscles that correspond with the sound necessitates that the performer bifurcate their attention. So in other words, they're thinking really, really hard about what they're saying, but at the same time, they're trying to rein in the muscles around their mm-hmm. their mouth that naturally want to move to the rhythm of speech, of course. And then sometimes they have to do something completely contrary to what they're saying, right? They have to plaster this expression on their face. That's the opposite of the emotions that are being performed because it really is like performing yourself, mm-hmm. um, yourself and then a version of yourself at the same time. Yeah, and you might even be drinking water. 
That's a favorite trick, of course. Yeah, yeah. drinking water. Um, he also has a beautiful opera voice. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing. Um, he gives an extreme example of this by talking to the camera and mismatch, purposely mismatching his mouth's movements to the words that are coming out. So it's probably the, it, one it of the weirdest like the things I've ever seen. It looks like the video is out of sync. It looks yeah. like, like the, the video and the audio have become out of sync, but he's creating the effect just com- completely organically by moving moving his lips uh, <laughs> at one speed and then speaking at another. It's it's amazing. Yeah, it's like there's a five-second delay on it. Right. And he did say uh, to Nina Conti, like, I can't look at you while I'm doing this because it takes so much concentration mm-hmm. to try to pull this trick off on myself, Yeah, essentially. Um, but another expert that she interviewed that I thought – gave a great example of how puppeteers are, are creating this illusion is Nacho Estrada, mm-hmm. best name ever, by yes. the way. Um, he's a distant voice expert. And he was showing Nina Conta how throwing your voice is really just a matter, again, of misdirection and then controlling that volume of the voice as well as the direction. So you can sort of speak in a direction to, to you know, trick the ear. Um, but I wanted to play this clip for for you guys out there because... Although you can't see it, you can hear the differences of when he's, quote-unquote, throwing his voice. So let's check it out as he uh, describes someone being, I believe they are stuck in a cup, a teacup. They say throwing your voice, but I'm fooling your hearing. So I can do something like, <clears throat> I throw my voice in here, but I'm not really throwing it. It's a misdirection. So I said, hello. Say, hello. Say, so it's things like, there's nothing in there, but I'm just fully, I'm using this to show you different, you're directing your attention here. Yeah, I, I love that bit. It's just, uh, you, you kind of have to see the, the video to get the full effect because he's doing the whole thing where he's putting it into the cup and then he's covering the cup up and it's just kind of this kind of juggling of this sound in the, and, and I feel like his, his, you know, his hand movements are important as well mm-hmm. because he's in the same way that a magician says, ah, the coin is here because that's how I'm moving my hand. Mm-hmm. He's doing the same thing with this voice that he has taken out like it's a physical object and put it into another object. And what I like about this is I feel like he has elevated uh, the art form of ventriloquism to such a height that he really is able to manipulate uh, the voice so well that you, it does really appear like, hey, that voice is stuck in his his uh, cup, which, mm-hmm. and which is not even a cup, but his hand <laughs> representing and, a cup. And it's such a well done, like throwing your voice when it's actually done by someone who knows how to do it. It's such a convincing act that that uh, everyone's interpretation of the act uh, is completely wrong. Um, uh, basically, when you encounter people throwing their voice in cartoons or, or you know, comedy shows or or even in movies such as uh, when a stranger calls back a horrible 1993 psychological thriller mm-hmm. in which the killer um perpetrates his crimes by sneaking into people's homes uh like i guess early in the the, the morning or something then stripping down and painting himself so that he resembles a, a complex brick wall or something like it's not it's never as simple as i look like the white wall now and i'm standing as a white wall it's always something really elaborate that there's no possible way he could have painted himself to look like that so then he'll stand there unseen and throw his voice around so that it sounds like he's elsewhere in the room but of course this is completely stupid because part of the the, the whole idea is that is that you, you need to see the person who's throwing the voice. Like, that's the, an essential part of the act. They have act. to direct it somewhere. Yeah. So, it's in reality... Ju- it's not just, I can make it seem like the corner is talking, and you don't... Yeah. It's just... Uh. In reality, you'd be like, why is the dude who's painted up sitting there talking to right, me? Right, right. But it, is I this feel, a dream? I feel like it's all because the act is so convincing, 
and and the magic of it is is literally less understood than other forms of of puppetry and uh, and and voice manipulation that we even though we know it's a trick, we still don't really understand what's happening. Well, and one of the things about the, the tricks that are pulled off is that it takes a ton of practice, mm-hmm. it, years and years of this to get really good at it. And, of course, that means that this inanimate object that you work with, you you really do begin to deepen that relationship because it is sort of a, a therapeutic aspect, right? I mean, right. you continue to talk to this puppet. You say things to yourself that you normally wouldn't say, right? Mm-hmm. You have a fairly deep relationship with it. At least this seems to be the case. Um, with what Nina Conti presented when she interviewed the ventriloquists. And so Puppet and Master are pretty wound together. So what happens when a ventriloquist passes away? Well, that is a bereaved puppet, and it has to find a home. Yes. And it does, in the form of the Vent Haven Museum, okay, which will take bereaved puppets. Which is in Kentucky. In, in Fort Mitchell, Kentucky, it is the world's only public collection of materials related to ventriloquism. There are 700 ventriloquist dummies arranged in three buildings, some sitting in rows as if waiting for a class to begin. Yeah. That's a place that I want to be in by myself. I'm going to spend hours in that room by myself. <laughs> um, there's some really unusual creations, uh, including a head carved by a German prisoner in the Soviet POW camp from World War II. Um the event performed for fellow prisoners as well is for the cook to get extra food. So it, there's a lot of history that goes into to this museum. It's not just, mm-hmm. you know, that the puppets are sitting there gathering dust. But more importantly, Vent Haven actually hosts a convention every year where 450 ventriloquists converge on Fort Mitchell's restaurant scene. You're really talking 900 at least per- participants, though. That's true. Yeah. That was insensitive of me. <laughs> I just keep thinking about the town, like, you know, the, all the restaurants are probably like, oh, boy, pretty soon the restaurants are going to be filled up with people sitting at their table talking to their puppets. Yeah, be, because uh, I, I understand that this convention, like other puppetry conventions, you have people there with their puppet. And they're often, they're communicating with their puppet, they're communicating with other people via their puppet. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the link between puppet and, and uh, puppet puppeteer and puppet becomes such that uh, that it's just part of communication well, when you, at least when you're in group well you probably won't be surprised to find out that most people who practice ventriloquism are introverts mm-hmm. and speak through their puppets so um, without the puppet i think it's it's a lot harder to communicate so right. it's sort of it's odd because you have false extroverts yeah. milling around in the in the crowd or maybe not false at that moment. All right, so I think we've covered it pretty well, but Robert, I wanted to know from you. Yes. If you were forced to get a ventriloquist dummy, what would yours be? Oh, well, hmm. Well, I would I would not want to go with the, you know, traditional uh, ventriloquist dummy. That's for sure. I would want, you know, something. Yeah. Um, the I, one that the bow tie one. Yeah. That's the one I always think of as the yeah. more traditional one with the dark hair. I don't know, does anyone have a mummy ventriloquist dummy? Oh. A ventriloquist mummy, as it were? Uh, that would be a lot of fun. Oh, you could, there's so many mummy mommy jokes yeah. there. I'm not sure what I would, oh, I know what I would do. Okay, so this would be the whole get up. The idea is that, um, a Victorian, uh, explorer, uh, happened to, uh, dis- you know, we've, you know, during the, the, the tomb plundering, uh, mm-hmm. period of, uh, of colonialism, um, he's, uh, he, he discovers this tomb and breaks open the, uh, sarcophagus, but then the mummy overpowers him, switches places with him, mm-hmm. and then locks him in. So then, the, so the, the actual mummy uh, runs off and you know and 
in, is still alive, enjoying a wonderful life in uh, in England, while um, the Victorian gentleman is is trapped in the sarcophagus for another hundred years. And so my puppet would be essentially a British Victorian uh, mummy who uh, would talk. So he'd be talking in a you know a, a yeah. nice British accent, but he would be a mummy. That's my my thing. I- First of all, I really want you to do this. <laughs> Second of all, did you just think of that off the top of your head? Yes, but, but largely it was it, it came to be because I was thinking, ah, mummy ventriloquist puppet would be great, but I don't know what an ancient Egyptian accent would consist of. But I love British accents, so that's what I would do. You, you've got it all figured out. Yeah. You've got to do this. You know <laughs> this, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the other thing, you know, I, I don't think we mentioned this, but comic timing is incredibly important to this um, to ventriloquism because you can be a master at the voices. Um, you, you, you could, still, but you still need to pay, make people laugh. Yeah, yeah because it otherwise it's just sort of like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you got to know your audience. You got to tailor your act to your audience. Well, okay. Well, how about you? You're, let's say you had your dream uh, ventriloquist dummy. What would your act be? I don't know. I mean, a, an animal comes to mind, um, and I think just a, a foul-mouthed one. Yeah. I'm going to have to say. I mean, I don't think that comes as a surprise. Probably one that's interested in scatology. Yeah. This is not an act I think anybody wants to see. Huh. Maybe maybe you'll go with uh, some sort of extreme prehistoric mammal, uh, which is going to be the Ooh. topic of a couple of upcoming episodes. Maybe there's something in there. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Perhaps a woolly mammoth. Cool. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, ventriloquist dummies uh, explained. Uh, hopefully, everyone has uh, a little more... Uh, a little more respect for the art form and a little a uh, little more um, of an understanding about what's going on when someone is when you're watching a puppeteer use a puppet and buying into the act what's happening when somebody's actually throwing their voice um, how we're all brain rubes really yeah yeah, yeah. essentially and you know the, and the puppetry is is awesome but it is kind of a, a glitch in our uh, our perceptions of, of reality so uh, if you have something you would like to share about this I'm sure we have some puppeteers out there who are listening to the show if you are a puppeteer if you are uh, a ventriloquist, uh, if you can throw your voice, any of these things, or if you just really appreciate the art form or are terrified of the art form, really, whatever your thoughts are, we'd love to hear about them. Uh, you can find us online, as always, at the, the mothership, stufftoblowyourmind.com. But you can also find us on Facebook and Tumblr. We are Stuff to Blow Your Mind on both of those. You can find us on Twitter, where our handle is Blow the Mind. And on YouTube, uh, we are Mind Stuff Show. And you can always drop us a line at blowthemind at discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 